Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino. Quick reminder to our audience that during season three, we are recording these episodes during social distancing, so the audio might sound a little bit different. Today, my guest is Dr. Mike Walsh. He is a clinical associate professor of aquatic animal health at the UF Comparative Diagnostic and Population Medicine Department. Dr. Walsh, thanks for being on the podcast today. Sure, I'm glad to be here. The first thing I'd like to ask you, because students always want to know, where did you go to undergrad, vet school, and what continued education did you do to get the job you have today? Okay, I actually grew up in the Midwest, which is not exactly a great place for finding animals that are on Oceanside. Right. So I went to um, undergrad at the University of Missouri in Columbia, and then went into the vet school there. After vet school, I'd spent some time during my residency at SeaWorld, and I got to know the people. So when a job opened up at SeaWorld, a friend of mine that I was working with said, why don't you try for that? And he was actually working there part-time. And I said, okay. And that set me up after spending 20 years there of having enough background and credibility to then come to the University of Florida to teach the next generation of aquatic veterinarians. So will you talk to me about what your thoughts are for those students who think they wanna go into aquatic animal medicine? What opportunities do they have? What kind of attitude should they have? What should they be thinking about? And what have they maybe not thought about yet? From the standpoint of how to look at the field, it's not something that has a ton of jobs. And that's why I, I got delayed from, nine, let's see, two years before I actually got a job that I really wanted to pursue. So you've got to be open to the possibility that there will be setbacks. So what we usually tell veterinary students that are interested in this is, your first goal is the intense desire to be a veterinarian, just a veterinarian. And if you really wanna be a veterinarian, when you're starting off, it doesn't matter in those first four plus years, whether it's dog, cats, horses, or anything else, because the education that you receive opens the door to the other things. And with those doors open, now you can take a look and say, okay, I want to be a veterinarian, but I am really kind of interested in this aquatic area or zoo medicine. So, so now we recommend look at it from a zoo and aquatic perspective. Don't limit yourself so much. Widen out your capabilities and your opportunities so that you would be happy doing a zoo that has aquatics or aquatics that has zoo, but you should be prepared to do both. And that's really important because too many people want to pigeonhole themselves in the early stage and they miss things. But the whole goal is you need to get out there because even though some people get into this field because they're interested more in working with animals and people, people are still 50% of this. And if you don't get along with people, you will not do well in this. So you can't just say, I'm going to go off and do this and I don't have to worry about people. Almost every animal has an owner, whether that's a corporation or whether that's a person. Well, I feel like we could 
we could, you could tell them what you were telling me before we pushed record on our podcast about helping those manatees. And you were just listing all of the different people that also came out to collaborate with y'all to help those manatees. So can you walk our audience through, you know, maybe this manatee doesn't have a physical owner that we would call by name, but all of these people got involved in this stranding case. So walk us through what a stranding case looks like and how you have to be able to work with people to do something like this. Okay. Well, this was a couple of weeks ago when we got a report, female man, I think it was a female manatee who was floating high out of the water on one side. So she was sitting at a, a strange angle in the water and she was not able to dive. She also had a small calf with her. So we went up to that area and followed through on that report, utilized the locals. We had to partner with FWC. We had five different people from our group. It was really this, well, it was a good word, village concept, and that's what we have to do. As a veterinarian, you often get into these positions in practice where you're the only one of authority. So you're, again, going back to this idea of being a people person. And if you don't get along with the people, you're not going to set up the proper relationship to make sure that that animal gets rescued and taken care of. So it's really, again, important that you realize you're not just an animal doctor. You're also a people person at the same time. What does an activity like you know, saving this manatee, what would that go under in one's job description? Is that rescue? Is that conservation efforts? Like what, what part of your job is addressing those calls? This goes back to something we were starting to maybe talk about was that there's opportunities depending on what you want to do. So we, we have a part of the stranding network. The stranding network in the United States for whales and dolphins and pinnipeds is set up along the full coastline, the entire United States, it's divided into regions. And it also includes Alaska and Hawaii. We're part of the Southeast Stranding Network. Part of that relationship too, because manatees are here, is that as the Stranding Network, we also get involved in rescues and recovery of manatees. And our job isn't just live animals. Our goal is to try to enhance the capability of recovery and research on all these animals in the coastline for a lot of different reasons. One is to help the individual animal. So that's when we're the doctor. The other is to work with all these other organizations and that's when we're part of the village. And then the other is to be able to utilize the information we get from these animals to know not only how is their population doing, what are their threats, what are they dying from? That's the conservationist side. So you can be a conservation-based veterinarian. So Dr. Walsh, if we're saying that students have all of these opportunities to get involved, why does a student need the DVM degree to do some of these things? So for these students who are listening and they're deciding if veterinary medicine is the right field for them, what would you tell them that if you want to do this, you need to have the DVM? Uh, maybe a good way of approaching that is realizing that the strategy for being good at this is having a number of things in your pocket. And one of those is a wide education that incorporates all species. What you're really looking at is 
the more you have under your timeline in terms of education on baseline information, you know, if we're talking toxicology, you need to be able to know something about what that's going to entail. Why is this uh, compound important and this one is not if it's in the water system? If you're looking at global warming and it's going to affect the plant aspects, which is going to affect their food, which means their nutrition is going to be compromised, which puts them at more risk, then you need to know about nutrition. Mm -hmm. If you're going to treat these animals, you're going to need to know about pharmacology. What do these drugs do? So what this is, is really tying about 30 different specialties and you become, okay, I'm gonna go against this old saying, jack of all trades and master of none, I think that's untrue. I think it's exposure to all trades to master one. And the, the reality is you have to have all of these different blocks to build the foundation to be the best you can be. Otherwise, you're not as useful and you won't be one of the pathfinders. You'll be one of the followers. A whole comprehensive experience for the students in those four years while they're getting that DVM to be exposed to all of the tools that they're going to need later, but also they're getting exposed to all of the career opportunities in veterinary medicine. So you're right that this that those three letters, DVM, really could stand for opportunity. They can do so much. And the fact that you're bringing that expertise into the field that other folks who are helping don't have, that will set students apart. So I like this idea that the DVM really prepares them for that future career, whatever it looks like, and whether there's delays or not. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, what were those 20 years at SeaWorld like? So my goals when I was at SeaWorld, I, I hired into that job partially because I was interested in the fact that SeaWorld does a lot of wildlife medicine. So my goal after I got to SeaWorld was I'm going to save the next bunch of baby manatees. Only one baby manatee had been saved in the years before I got there. And I'm going to do the first anesthetic procedure since none had been done in 20 years, never at SeaWorld. And I'm going to save more beached animals because only one beached animal had survived in the first 10 or 12 years. So, and a lot of that came down to taking that education I got and knowing critical care and how to support an animal through an illness. So all that was a challenge for me. And there weren't that as many people involved at the time. So manatee medicine was not up to speed yet. Nobody had ever sedated or anesthetized a manatee and we were the first ones to do it. That opened up doors for treatment for them from boats and injuries that wasn't there before. So I, I think what you're seeing is that my time at SeaWorld was at a time when the medicine was really moving forward and I got into a perfect fit related to that. But Dr. Walsh, it sounds like while you were at SeaWorld, you had a lot of initiative, drive, you were curious, and I always like to ask guests, what personality traits do you think are critical for a student who wants to get involved in, in your case, aquatic animal health? What do these students need to have to be successful in this field? Probably an important way to look at that, to answering the question of what they need is to realize you don't have to have it when you are interested. 
you can also realize you can develop it. And that's what I've realized over time. If you put your mind to it, let's say that you didn't have the exposure that led to the curiosity. You can develop that curiosity if you're around people that have that trait. Okay, so what I hear you saying is it's not necessarily these innate traits or characteristics that students need to have. They need to have the willingness to put themselves around strong role models, mentors, educators who can teach them high quality engagement with science and research and wanting to know more. And that agency mentality of I can do this, I can figure it out. I'll get there if I put the work in. So that sounds very encouraging to, to all students that any personality can do well in aquatic animal health if they put themselves around others who can help them get stronger, get better, get wiser. What else does our pre-vet audience need to hear from you? for advice for vet school or advice going into the aquatic animal health field? I think the hardest thing is still geared towards building your confidence to the point where you're willing to take a step further than the average person would. And maybe that is that you think, you know what? Um, and I see this because I've been on the admissions committee quite a bit. And when we're in there interviewing students and you're talking to them and asking them, questions, most of them, I shouldn't say most, many of them are, are not used to meeting strangers. And they're not used to getting out of that shell that they're used to. So what you see from those that are used to being in group situations, that are used to working with other people, and, and learning how to be that bit more extroverted, those people do better inside of that room than the ones who come in there with a quiet background. It's really helpful. And I know it's tough to do because you don't know how to set it up. If you could put yourself into these social situations and not necessarily just with friends and get used to the idea of being asked questions by strangers. We're all there to help you. We're all there for your best interest, but it's still not something you understand yet because you haven't experienced it. And for me, and I guess I'll tell you, I guess I'll tell you this because it's important for you to understand, it took me three and a half years to get in vet school. And I was terrible at sitting in there with 12 faculty members grilling me about stuff. I had spent more time being around other people, learning how to deal with strangers. So it got two weeks before vet school and I got the big letter. Well, I am really excited that everyone got to hear the drive and the energy from Dr. Walsh that it takes to continue to open doors, to approach doors that maybe you wouldn't have approached, but all the while knowing that each door can bring you to the next step of your education, the next step of your career. There are so many opportunities, so many options in this field. and. Right now, while you're listening, 10 years from now, it'll be totally different than what you think it's gonna be, and that's okay. And that's what's the most exciting part about this field of veterinary medicine. Dr. Walsh, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. You're quite welcome, anytime. I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon.